Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. We're talking some USC football with our friend Dan Weber, uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist. you got a lot of questions about this USC football team counting down towards fall camp. But, of course, the kickoff of the 2016 season. So we're going to try to get to each and every one of your questions. If you have a question for us, anyone on the show, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address, or you can give us a call. Leave a voicemail. We'll love to play your voicemail on the podcast and answer your question to the best of our ability. You can call 641-715-3900 from your phone, then dial extension 816-646, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page, and you can leave a voicemail right from your computer or your device. Uh, We are on iTunes at itunes.com slash peristylepodcast. You can subscribe that way. Give us a rating. We're also on Google Play. Just search for Peristyle Podcast. If you've got an Android device, we're on Stitcher. We're on Audio Boom. A lot of different ways to get a hold of us. A lot of different ways to consume this show. So I hope you guys are enjoying it. And it's our third show of the week. So we have to promise to get some podcasts since we took a vacation. Wanted to get a few more shows in for you. And this one should be really good because, like I said, we have Dan Weber. And there's a lot of really good USC football team questions. So welcome, Dan. And Dan, what's going on, man? How are you? Oh, uh, doing good. This is uh, with the uh, play run practices on Friday. Uh, Thursday's a good time for this. Yeah, so they're practicing a couple days a week. Tuesday mornings and Friday mornings are kind of the schedule they're on now. They've been pretty interesting uh, workouts so far. It's pretty well attended. And, you know, I did I did a radio hit in Alabama today, earlier today, and uh, they were asking about the motivation for the Alabama game. I'm like, you know, I think that the summer workouts are high, more highly attended than they have been in years past. So maybe that's some kind of indication of how excited the players are for this big opener. You know what? I, I would probably, I think they are, but I, I think uh, it's, it's, it's simply a matter of there are just a whole lot, as I wrote the other day, I think a lot more guys who think they've got a chance to play. And a lot of, it's 34 guys on this team who've started at least one game in their USC career. There are 16 uh, players who were freshmen last year or the year before who, who started as true freshmen. There are just a lot of kids, you know, there's depth in places where USC hasn't had depth, you know, in a long time. And I just think, you know, that's one of the, I think the big motivators is that there's just a lot of competition everywhere you look. I mean, they're just, you know, offensive line, wide receivers, running, running backs, quarterback, tight end, you know, and now with the three new defensive linemen, you know, a lot of, a lot of bodies there, uh, linebackers, uh, the secondary, you know, anywhere you look, I just think it's, it's, you know, it's hard if you miss. And I think the other thing that's a factor is they're just doing so much more 11 on 11. I mean, you know, there were summers when they basically did almost no 11 on 11. If you were a lineman, you were going to, you know, work on your own. But, uh, uh, you know, it was uh, seven on seven at the most. They did a lot of one-on-one stuff and that. Well, you just don't see that now. You're seeing a almost, uh, well, the majority of, of every one of the player-run practices is 11-on-11 stuff. So there's plenty for the D-line guys to do. And uh, uh, so so I think that's a big big difference as well. Obviously, Alabama you know, matters a lot. But I don't think I'm seeing it as a as a big a motivator as maybe I thought it would be. I think it's more, a, a, you know, just a sense of, uh, they think they've got a chance to be pretty good, and um, they're not taking any chances. By uh, you know, I think the players have, are are more in control. And I think that's one of the good things they did with the weight and conditioning work is that um, they put it on the players. They, this is your team, your practices, and you guys are in charge. And the players um, are kind of enforcing the rules, uh, talking to one another. They, they have input with one another on, you know, what the right thing to do is and what's not the right thing to do and that. So you just see and hear a whole lot more 
going on at these workouts than uh, than in previous years. I mean, it, it, you know, I know people say, "Oh, you say that every year," but this is different. <laughs> this this is different. I think, yeah, I think it definitely has been different. Probably a lot of factors, like you mentioned too. Uh, well, let's jump in. We got a lot of questions. I think the, the the questions we have a wide variety, so we should cover a lot of USC football topics. And we'll start off with Tarek. Um, he said, with Adoree Jackson just uh, focusing on defense this upcoming season, could we see Dominic Davis used in the type of role Adoree was uh, used in on offense last year? Yeah, I don't think there's any question. Uh, you know, we're seeing that in the summer. Dominic, uh, they're incorporating him in a lot of different a lot of different ways, and uh, you know he's. Uh, I think he's going to be able to do that. I do think the Adoree situation is going to be interesting as to how much they do, you know, incorporate him on offense. I mean, it, it, you know, clearly Adoree uh, and when we play, they both say much more focus on defense and all of that. It's just that he's so unbelievably, uh, you know, exciting and talented and a threat to go all the way every time he gets the ball on offense. So. We'll see how that goes. I, I, I don't know what was it. Pro Football Focus talked about, you know, he had 27 catches, and on those 27 catches he made, you know, on 16 of them he made people miss him. And he had like the highest percentage of making people miss uh, in the country. And it, it, you know, that there there isn't anybody, and I think we all know that. So, uh, so I'll be interested to see, you know, how they use him. Uh, I got the sense with the Dory that he wasn't going to be returning kickoffs or that was not going to be as high a, a priority that he definitely wants to do the punts. And he's, you know, always done those his, his whole life. But, uh, but I do think, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dixon is going to be there to step in, uh, wherever, uh, um, you know, uh, Adoree isn't, but I also think you'll see some of that. Uh, I think Deontay Burnett might do some of that as well. Uh, there are, ways in which you know we've seen him uh, incorporate uh some of the adori stuff so um so that's just keep an eye on that how that how that all develops i don't think it's absolutely certain how it's going to go but uh, but i but i think dixon yes and uh maybe burnett maybe jalen green uh would would get some of those as well all right uh let's go to john uh he's in brea california he said, I'm wondering if you had the chance to see what Rocky Long is doing down at San Diego State and how physically they play. I think they were using a 280-pound fullback in their bowl game. If they have the players to play physical, certainly USC does as well. I don't think USC has a 280-pound fullback, though, there, John. Um, what, are you, what have you seen during PRPs, uh, the player-run practices, uh, that shows the Trojans are developing a nasty streak? Or do we have to wait for fall camp to see it? And who is going to take over for some of Vanuku's "quote unquote" feel me mentality? Thanks for all you do. Fight on, John and Brea. Well, John, I'm I'm not sure you want too much of that kind of nasty streak, uh, physical, you know, uh, stuff going on while you're, you know, we got no helmets, no pads. Uh, we did see Marvell tell with a an absolute. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to think who it was that uh, that he took down, and. You know, uh, there was a question as to whether, you know, he, you know, you looked at him and you thought, okay, did he knock his teeth out? Did he break his nose? A concussion? Uh, I'm not convinced some of those didn't happen on, on, on that play where he just came up and, you know, just face planted, uh, you know, big time tackle. Uh, they are more, uh, more physical. There, there's a lot more. You don't see you know, a great deal of, uh, you know, uncontested, uh, you know, catches, for example. But, uh, but mostly what we get to see, for example, uh, and the front line guys on offense and defense is just, uh, we get to see them running a lot and they're running a lot. We get to see them working on their timing on offense, on defense, on their assignments and run into the football. And you can be physical, I think, in a lot of ways by just, you know, how hard you run to the ball, how, how uh, how hard you run all the way through the play to the end of the play. If you run hard, you run in the right direction, you get the right angle. The chances are you're going to be physical, you know, when you get there. In terms of uh, you know running a uh, you know a jumbo fullback and that kind of thing, uh, uh, 
we're not seeing that because they just don't have that guy. You know, you see Reuben Peters, who I guess uh, the probably 220 converted linebacker is kind of a blocking, uh, you know, fullback. Uh, I think we'll see an awful lot of the, you know, the tight ends moving as as blockers, uh, you know, point of attack blockers in motion, that kind of thing that they did with Red Ellison. None of them are quite as big as Rhett was at 250, but uh, I think they, you know, the, the tight ends have improved their blocking. I think there's a, you know, that's a big uh, emphasis on the part of John Baxter who's coaching the tight ends that, yeah, hey, you can catch the ball, but we got a lot of guys who can catch it. If, you know, if you can, you want to be on the field as a tight end, you know, the advantage you've got is, you're 240 something and you can move and uh and we need to see you block it so uh you know there's that i would say this when you talk to the offensive linemen for example they tell you that what they got done in the spring in terms of the one-on-one and half line stuff uh where they really tried to dominate and just be as physical as they could be against a de- you know against a fairly at that point young and thin defensive line um was a big part of that now, how that how that plays out once they put pads on in August, we'll see. Uh, but uh, but I think that's where you know where it happens, and we're not going to get to see that uh, as much in the summer. And you don't want to see it. You don't want guys getting hurt uh, without pads. Certainly not. Yeah. It's uh, we'll 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 know more in fall camp. We'll see what kind of nasty streak this team has. Can't really do it too much. <laughs> Shorts and t-shirts, like Dan said. Um, the G has a question. He said, why have we heard Bedeku's name or uh, Kevin Scott's over the spring and summer? Are they progressing, improving? Will Bedeku Bedeku contribute to the upcoming season as Gustin's backup? Or what is the plan for Kevin? As I recall, he is raw, uh, but a handful on the defensive. But there's only a handful of guys on the defensive side of the ball. Seems like uh, Bedeku was kind of learning the game of football, at least at the D1 level, during winter and spring workouts. And Kevin's recruiting stock coming out of high school was rocketing skyward can we get some feedback on these guys thanks for all you do the g hey uh the g uh wally uh batico basically unfortunately rolled his rolled his ankle and so first couple of weeks he was in a boot now he's in uh flat bottom uh you know workout shoes but he hasn't progressed to cleats yet uh, moving a lot better, but uh, that that has pretty much kept him off the field in any kind of team stuff. So that's, that's kind of a uh, kind of a shame because the more work he can get get done, and he was one of those guys that would stay late and work real hard, uh, you know, in the spring. Uh, he hasn't been able to do that because of the ankle. Uh, but uh, you know, so I, I hesitate to make any kind of prediction on somebody who is you know that raw and that young in football and that athletic and who's had an injury. So as to where, where he settles in or, you know, how that works, uh, I just, uh, you know, it's not something we can probably even guess at right now. As far as Scott, he looks, he looks much more fit to me now. He looks like he's, uh, you know, kind of figured it out. <clears throat> but, you know, at this point in time, you do have, uh, you know, an influx of, uh, you know, we've got Khalil Rogers moving over from, you know, offense to defense. You've got, uh, you know, Stevie Tui Kalavatu, who has, uh, you know, who will be taking a scholarship day two of practice and, uh, you know, grad student, probably easily 330 pounds, uh, uh, kind of a, uh, an Antoine Woods, although bigger, stronger looking, uh, and then, uh, uh, Josh Fatu uh, from Long Beach City College. So <clears throat> there have been, you know, to to a position that we were all thinking that at the end of spring is, wow, this is really thin and this is young and this is raw and all that. All of a sudden, it's not very, you know, it's not thin, not raw, not young. And so uh, how that, you know, plays out for somebody like Kevin Scott, I, I don't know. He looks better. He looks more ready to play. He looks like he, you know, has figured some of this out but uh there's a lot more bodies uh over there now than than there there were uh you know just a a month ago okay let's go uh to kevin he wants to know you mentioned khalil rogers he had two questions one 
Thoughts on Khalil Rogers moving to the defensive line? I'll give you that one first. Do you think it's a good move? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I, uh, I, 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 I don't know. What is it? Four years ago, I wanted to see John Martinez. Once they decided maybe he wasn't going to start all the time on, on on the offensive line, I just thought his size and and his uh, athleticism, his low center gravity, his quickness would have made him, uh, you know, a natural for for a D line guy. Where again, uh, during on a year they didn't have a lot of those guys. It turns out now John is, you know, one of the leading fullbacks at 300 pounds in the Arena Football League. He always had that kind of quickness and uh, aggressiveness. And I think Khalil Rogers is the same thing. He's got, you know, kind of a, I know they list him at 6'3". He's never quite looked 6'3 to me, but he's got that low center of gravity. He's got that, uh, got that quick quickness with his, uh, you know, both hands and feet. Uh, he says that his shoulder is absolutely 100% uh, repaired uh, and ready to go, and he's he's fine. And he was always a guy that liked to mix it up. Uh, uh, a guy you you know you always uh, rooted for. He would do anything uh, you know you wanted up you know from him. And I think he's probably right around 312 pounds, something like that. So I think it's a really good move. I, I'm you know, I think it's the best move we've thought about. Well, with Jordan Simmons or Chuma Doga, which the Chuma Doga really didn't look like a good move. Uh, just the thought they looked at it for a day or two and that was, was not going to happen. And, uh, you know, probably clearly too valuable and just with the kind of frame that is going to work better on offense. But, um, but I think Khalil is, is an excellent move, uh, for him to go, um, you know, and maybe, maybe next year Kenny Bigelow and Khalil be on the same defensive line, which would be, be kind of great for those two former, you know, high school teammates. Yeah, that's true. And then uh, the second one was, how do you think uh, others on the team perceive Adoree Jackson being chosen for media days after having not played spring football and not participating in any of the throwing sessions? I imagine there'd be some saying, quote, what the fill in the blank. Thanks from Kevin no longer in South Orange County. Not sure where you are, Kevin, but we know you're not in South Orange County anymore. Yeah, Kevin, I, I think this this is the difference between USC and, and other places. I mean, the idea of Media Day is to get people to Media Day who people want to talk to, who have interesting stories. USC more professional. I mean, I know there were you know there's a program across town that said you know kind of you like you have to earn it. You got to be there three or four years before you get invited to Media Day. Well, that's not the purpose of Media Day. Media Day is who do the media from all over the Pac-12 and, you know, if they're lucky on some years, even a, some national guys, who do they want to talk to? Well, at USC, those those guys would be Adoree and uh, and Zach. Just force of personality was that, and Juju. So uh, in this case, I think they did the right thing. Uh, the fact that Adoree hasn't been around, and he's been, you know, doing the, the long jumping and trying to get to the Olympics and all that. The fact that he is, as I noted today and, uh, going over the, all the preseason stuff that he's the only USC guy who's listed on three different watch lists. So I think it would have been kind of, you know, if you're really talking about doing media days right, you bring the guys who, for whom there's the most interest. Uh, and, you know, of course, you know, Dory is going to talk about himself because that's the questions he's going to get asked. He wasn't asked to, you know, spend as much time speaking for the whole team, which Zach, uh, you know, did a lot of that. But, but I think if you looked around the room, uh, on the two days of media day, uh, USC by far offered the most for the media who were there from around the Pac-12. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, obviously, you know, is a big, big draw. But uh, nobody else had two uh, media draws like USC did, and I think that's the right way to do it, and that's the, the right way to do it for the Pac-12. And probably if I had more to say about it as a Pac-12 person and somebody has, you know, a really good quarterback who maybe only is a sophomore and everybody wants to talk to because he's, you know, done some controversial things, I think I might tell that school that, we didn't want you to bring that guy because that's why we're having media day. 
to get people that people want to talk to. So anyway, that's my take. All right. Let's go to Eric in Duck Country. He said, with all the positivity surrounding Jack Jones, could he challenge Biggie Marshall for time on the field? A lot of people have talked about how Yvonne Marshall could be better suited as a safety. And if this is the case, who's the odd man out of the safety position? And what would be the possible DB rotation with two corners and two safeties if Jack Jones is too good to keep off the field? When they play nickel, who's the nickelback? I can't wait for fall camp. Eric in Duck Country. Hey, Eric, I think uh, right now it looks like the nickelback is probably Leon McQuay. And it looks like he's really enjoying it. Uh, he's a slot cover guy anyway. And I do think it, it's almost out of date a little bit to talk about the secondary as four guys because I think, you know, in maybe 10 of the games, they may, you know, the secondary might be five guys. Uh, so the way Clancy plays it. So, uh, yeah, I don't know that they're the way they want to play it, that they're thinking about, you know, this guy's going to beat this guy out and this guy's going to sit. I think they're just looking for everybody that can play and get them in the rotation. And, and that's what, you know, they're trying to, you know, show in the summer, but, but you've got, you know, Chris Hawkins is a veteran, is kind of the, the leader back there. You've got Plattenberg, who's, uh, you know, kind of cemented himself in there. You know, last year you got Marvell Tell, this, you know, big, rangy, very talented, you know, second-year guy. You've got uh, Jenny Harris, who just is just, you know, big, strong, tough, uh, converted wide receiver who looks like he's absolutely going to, you know, force them to play him. Um you know, you've got uh, um, uh, Isaiah Langley, who's going to have to sit out that first game, but he's a factor. Uh, you've got Yakili Ross, who looks back, who's healthy, 200 pounds, uh, the athlete that everybody thought he was going to be. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of bodies. You've got uh, got a Matt Lopes kid, who smart, tough. Uh, you know, played a lot last year when he uh, before he got hurt. Uh, this is a secondary that, that I, I don't think you're going to break it down into just, you know, four guys. And Jack Jones has showed us uh, an unbelievable amount of athleticism and uh, ball skills and, you know, the ability to, you know, make plays, break on the ball. I mean, the one thing you'll see every once in a while, though, uh, they'll get him creeping up and, 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 and beat him deep. You know where they where they run play action and throw it over the top, and uh, that's the kind of thing that uh, you know freshmen are going to learn. Uh, but uh, he's got a lot of catch up speed, and he's got a lot of he, when he breaks on the ball, you better get that thing there quick because uh, he's uh, he's a heck of an athlete. So so that's a lot of they got a lot of guys to choose from, and I don't know that they're going to go in looking and who are our first. I, mean, I think we've been thinking of it in the past few years that way because you know you were happy if you had you know four who you felt like can really start i just think that's that's not the way uh, uh they're probably looking at it this year uh, it just it, it's it's a it's a different you know it's a different ball game uh back in the secondary now you just look around and you think well he can play he can play he can play he can you know you, they got a lot of guys that can play and i I don't see how you'll you'll keep them off the field. I think they're going to play a lot of those guys. All right, let's go. Let's see, Bob in Newport Beach. He says, um, "I have a different take uh, about announcing a starting quarterback now instead of later." Clay Helton has reiterated that USC is "quote unquote" all about the competition. He said he will announce the uh, complete starting lineup two weeks before the first game after fall camp, when he's had a chance to fully evaluate all the players. Excuse me. I don't think it should be any different for the quarterback position. What does it say to the team if it appears that they are fighting for jobs except the quarterback? And what does it say to Sam Darnold if he isn't treated like any other player at any other position? I have not heard that Clay Helton has announced any other starters. Why is it necessary to change the rules for the quarterback position? Thanks, Bob in Newport Beach. And he said, P.S. Your team is best out there, and I appreciate all that you offer. Yeah, Bob, I, I think they still might have done that had Sam Darnold not had the spring he had. I just think it's easier to do that at quarterback. Uh, you know, and, and yet the fact that they haven't done that hasn't changed anything. Matt, uh, Max is still in charge. Max still takes the first team reps. Uh, so, and he hasn't changed much of the, 
you know, the daily dynamics of how this, you know, how things are going. Uh, but I think it was, it was, you know, as you say, a recognition of competition really matters, sending that message. Uh, and I think you could send that message because of the way Sam performed in the spring. And you just say, hey, a guy that, you know, has improved that much and has, you know, has performed that well, uh, why take him in the competition, you know, at this point? And it wasn't a case of Max not doing anything we thought he was going to do or expected him to do or whatever. It was just, a, you know, a recognition of, hey, you know, competition matters and why not keep this going? I, I don't think it changes all that much in the, you know, the big picture, but I do think that, you know, the sending the, uh, the competition matters, uh, uh, message through the, throughout the team. Uh, I, I think that's really, really important. And it, again, because of the numbers, competition really does matter. And this is what, I mean, it's certainly what Pete Carroll thought was the difference in his program. Uh, from pretty much everybody else in college football is the way they competed on a daily basis. And those kids believe more than anything that they competed harder in practice and harder than, than many games. And that uh, the way they practiced guaranteed they were going to win, win, uh, you know, when Saturday came around and it was the kind of confidence builder that, uh, you know, we've prepared harder than anybody else. And, uh, you know, we're not going to lose. And if you do that in the right way, um, you know, you kind of develop a, a, a sense of confidence. I'm going to be really interested to see how that plays out, you know, when they play somebody like Alabama, you know, who's in a place where, you know, USC was a decade ago. Uh, but uh, but I, I agree with you on the competition thing. Why, why not keep it going to quarterback uh, when Darnold performs that well? Had he not? They would have named Max pretty much as a starter, but uh, it, uh, you know, give Sam credit. He's done a you know an unbelievable job, and he, he does every day. Uh, we got a few questions on the Pac-12 uh, and what's going on there. So we have uh, Marcel in San Gabriel Valley. I'll read his first. What's the state of the Pac-12? Are university presidents happy with the leadership of Larry Scott? And is the conference looking to remove teams or add teams? Are, are other conferences looking uh, for schools to leave the conference, such as Cal or UCLA? Uh, I, you know, I know, and I noticed what uh, Rick Neuheisel said the other day about how uh, UCLA maybe because of the you know he's more the national guy and SEC guy and that kind of thing, but uh, that uh, UCLA could maybe look to the uh, Big 12, which now has said, hey, we are going to expand. Uh, and uh, it would be a way of UCLA getting out from the shadow of USC, if I read that right. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I just know this. Uh, the Pac-12 has got to figure some things out. You know, they can keep telling you, oh, we've got the right answer for you know, media distribution and we've got the right answer for the networks and we're going to be when all the, you know, changes, you know, fall out, we're going to be ahead of the game, but they're falling. There's no question about it. I think Phil Steele just, uh, in his, you know, magazine that just came out, dropped the PAC 12 from the second best conference to the third, uh, uh, you know, behind the ACC, uh, this year said it was close. But um, the Pac-12 has also fallen behind the Big 12 uh, in terms of uh, per-team revenue, which seems almost impossible. The Big 12, you know, without a network, without a, you know, with 10 teams, they, until next year they won't even have a championship game, um, is producing more revenue. And they're in, you know, I, I make fun of the Big 12 a little bit, but they're basically, I mean, they're in towns like uh, – Ames, Iowa, and, you know, Manhattan, Kansas, and Stillwater, Oklahoma, and Lubbock, Texas. And, uh, you know, it just, I mean, they, they have, you know, they've got Dallas, Fort Worth, and, you know, Austin, and, uh, you know, Oklahoma. I'm not, you know, sure what, what is, you know, what's producing that kind of, uh, you know, TV revenue, but they're doing better than the Pac 12. Uh, who's, you know, gonna have to hold off the ACC. Uh, the ACC just, uh, uh, 
agreed to uh, uh, to start a network with ESPN, uh, very much like ESPN has uh, you know gotten in with the uh, SEC, and uh, here the Pac-12 will be saying, "Oh, we're independent. We own ours ourselves." And I don't know how long the college presidents are going to be able to to look at what's going on in other conferences and say, this isn't being done right by the Pac-12. I mean, for example, uh, Big Ten has has, uh, renegotiated. It's the second negotiation for a TV contract since the Pac-12 agreed to a 12-year deal. And the Big Ten came along the next year and agreed to their first deal. Now this is their second deal, and they're going to have another deal in five years. So the Big Ten will have renegotiated three TV deals in the time that the Pac-12 will have had no renegotiation. So uh, on this last deal, they went way, way beyond the uh, Pac-12. So, I mean, there's a good chance that the Pac-12 will be down to the fifth of the Power Five conferences that that Pac-12 got very lucky. They were the first ones to be able to renegotiate. And because they hadn't been doing, you know, really doing a very good job of, of handling their TV rights and all that, it looked like an unbelievable deal and an unbelievable jump. But they got locked in for 12 years. And, um, and they're basic. And then they, you know, came up with this, uh, you know, we're going to own all our own TV rights. We're not going to go in with Fox like the Big Ten did. We're not going to go in with the ESPN, like uh, uh, the SEC and now the ACC are doing. Uh, and that just isn't the way to go. For example, not only did last week did the uh, SEC just dominate the airwaves on ESPN for four days, but then after four days through Friday, on Monday, they send all their coaches to the, uh, the famous uh, ESPN car wash where they – you know, have one coach after the other coach after the other coach all day long uh, in Bristol, Connecticut. And I guess they did it over a couple of days. The Pac-12 is not getting any of that. I mean, they, they just uh, – one would think that the presidents are going to start asking questions. I mean, I hope that, you know, that Lynn Swan, um, you know, having not been any part of these previous negotiations and with his own TV background, maybe is able to kind of – Beer had uh, <clears throat> some uh, – see, I think in the Pac-12 what's happening is the athletic directors have kind of been shunted aside. And I think the, you know, the presidents have been sort of brought into the loop with the commissioner. And uh, it hasn't mattered as much what the ADs think. And I think the ADs have to reassert themselves and say to the presidents at their schools that the Pac-12 is falling behind – and this is like real money. I mean, this is significant money uh, over the next decade that the Pac-12 is going to lose. I mean, we're talking, you know, $50 million a school easily behind, say, the Big Ten. And I just don't know how you can, com- you know, keep up. Now, Larry Scott said the other day, told me, oh, we're going to have enough resources to compete. He will not get into numbers. But uh, I think pretty soon those numbers are going to, have to get to the Pac-12 presidents, and they're going to have to start thinking, what do we do here? And, uh, you know, I would have wished that the Pac-12 would have been in a situation where they could be talking about picking off, you know, schools but uh, and, and expanding maybe to a 16-team East-West conference. But uh, who knows? The Pac-12, some of these be better off going to the Big 12 and uh, – and, and going with an East-West, uh, you know, conference there, I don't know. But uh, Pac-12 is not in a good place right now, and I think everybody knows it. You know, John and Brea wrote in and had, you know, a lot of the points in his initial paragraph. I won't read them, the points that we've already covered. But his question is interesting. How long before you think this lack of exposure will affect recruiting? Almost all California four- and five-star players have SEC schools on their list. I think USC can solve the problem. By winning the conference and becoming the dominant program in the conference again, similar to what FSU and Clemson are doing, can you help me from uh, becoming a doom and gloomer when it comes to USC's future in the Pac-12? Thanks for all the comfort you provide, John and Brea. Yeah, I think that's it. The the model has to be, uh, John, that USC goes back to dominance. 
And I know the Pac-12, you know, that was kind of Larry Scott's mantra was uh, no more USC and the, you know, nine doors or USC and the 11 door, whatever. And that I think the Pac-12 really welcomed those NCAA sanctions for USC. I think they'll find out now that, uh, you know, Larry was moaning and groaning about how, uh, you know, Chris, Christian McCaffrey couldn't get the votes. And he should have been the Heisman Trophy winner. I don't get any question about that. But he didn't want to take any of the blame because Christian McCaffrey, a lot of his games were late at night. And now when you look at it, it's amazing that USC could win three out of four Heismans. Obviously, that was the thing that drove the you know SEC over the edge. Uh, you know, and I think the, the decision to take USC down, uh, uh, actually, you know, followed, uh, the fact that the SEC was just so beside itself with, the, you know, the idea that USC could win three out of four Eisman. Cause there are some really built in, uh, you know, disadvantages. I mean, and it was like last year, if you look at the Heisman voting, there were people who did not have Christian McCaffrey on their five man list of, uh, people they voted for well that's just they should you know all those ballots should be revoked those people should never be allowed to vote again but uh but uh, you know if they want to look and see who will make people uh aware of the pac-12 who will you know be the kind of team that will get into the playoffs the four four team playoffs it's usc and so I mean, I think the answer for USC, you know, recruiting, going against the, you know, Alabamas, and oh, there's no question that schools are coming out here more, is uh, um, you got to win football games. You got to win the conference. You got to get back to, to dominating the conference. <clears throat> and then you basically, you know, in terms of recruiting, you say to a kid, you know, you want to be, you know, if you've been to the USC campus recently, you want to be here or do you want to be in, you know, Tuscaloosa? or Baton Rouge. And for a California kid, I just don't think you're going to lose many of those. Uh, you know, it, football is all things being equal. You aren't losing those kids to the SEC. Uh, now, if you're not equal, uh, you know, then, then you've got to, you know, going to have to, you know, work hard to defend yourself because the PAC 12 isn't going to do much to help you. Um, that's the problem. If you're, you know, in a lot of places in the East, you're not, well, hey, you can be on the West Coast. You can't get the Pac-12 network. So there's a couple of games where USC is forced to play on the Pac-12 network. You know, those kids, you know, won't be, won't be seen, you know, back home. And, and that's not a good thing. All right, Dan, we got one last one for you from Mark. Uh, along the same lines, uh, he was quote, he was talking about the, you know, Rick Neuheisel's comments about UCLA leaving. He said, I'm not sure if I agree with that, but it got me thinking about USC using some leverage with the TV deal and the Coliseum Commission. So on the TV deal, he said, uh, Larry Scott you know, has committed to with the networks lasting for another 10 years. Could you use the leverage of USC and UCLA threatening to leave the conference unless the split between the schools is renegotiated based on the number of TV sets watching each broadcast? That way the schools will have to earn their money. And they said on the Coliseum, threat to leave the stadium and move to a new stadium in Inglewood unless the Coliseum agrees to a full renovation except except for the peristyle without the limitation of keeping the historical look of the stadium. Just the uh, thought while we look for, wait for the new season, that's from Mark. Mark, I think uh, the Coliseum things, uh, I mean, there, there is no com- Coliseum commission that, that matters in any way, shape, or form. That's USC's Coliseum now. So... They're negotiating with themselves. And yeah. so I think they, you know, it's up to USC to, to raise the kind of money and get the kind of redesign and renovation and rebuild that works best. Uh, as people know, we weren't crazy about the, uh, you know, the first thing that came down the pike. Uh, I know they're aggressively working on, on selling, uh, you know, private boxes and, uh, you know, getting the private funding to, uh, to do what they need to do in the Coliseum. Uh, but yeah, so they can't leverage, uh, against themselves. However, you'd love to see them start using leverage against the, uh, against the conference. And there is leverage to be used and to be had. And you've got to do, you know, I mean, uh, the conference, uh, is a 12 year total deal. So I think it, we're, it's going through 2024, 20, 25. So, um, 
Uh, I think what they need to do there is uh, explore options. I don't think it would be wrong. Everybody heard last week that the <clears throat> University of Houston athletic director asked for a meeting with Larry Scott because they weren't sure where they stand in, in terms of the Big 12, which I think was a very smart thing for the Houston athletic director to do. I don't think it would be wrong for USC and UCLA to maybe take a meeting with the Big 12 people. Just say, you know, I mean, what would the Pac-12, if USC and UCLA left the Pac-12, what would they do? I mean, they, they're just, now you don't have to do it, just the way you didn't have to sue the NCAA, but if you make them think, well, you might, uh, I think that you're in a far better situation. And I really think uh, USC, UCLA, maybe the Arizona schools, you know, I think people should start, you know, exploring some opportunities and say, look, if I'm in this other conference, I'm going to make way more money, have a better TV deal and TV exposure than I am in the Pac-12. What what should I stay in the Pac-12 for? I, I think that question should be asked and asked a lot in a lot of places by a lot of people. And, um, you know, just, I mean, for example, if the four California schools decided that they would, as a nucleus, become the West Division of the Big 12, I mean, what does that do? For, the Pac-12 becomes the Mountain State, you know, whatever, Mountain West. Uh, and they could probably cut themselves a pretty darn good deal, uh, you know, going to something like that. Now, legally, you know, they're going to have to – I saw somebody ask John Wilner – the uh, who does all the Pac-12 stuff for San Jose Mercury News about that uh, today. Uh, and he said, you know, nobody's ever tried that. I don't know. Would they be able to, you know, keep you back? I mean, the Pac-12, basically, the deal was they get to keep all your rights, your TV rights, until 2024-25. But um, how that would actually work out in real life, uh, if you know, a number of teams decided we don't like the way this is working in the Pac-12 and we'd really like to change things around. I mean, I'd like to see USC, for example, just start negotiating on things like, you know, the TV center of probably the entire civilized world is Los Angeles. Why in the world did the Pac-12 choose to put their studios in the most expensive piece of real estate west of, you know, Manhattan, uh, in the Embarcadero in San Francisco, where there isn't nearly the, uh, you know, the amount of talent or, uh, you know, studios or skill or, or whatever that there would be available in L.A. Why? They didn't want it in L.A. But I just think, you know, that's the kind of thing you'd like to see the L.A. schools say, look, we think the Pac-12 networks ought to be in L.A. You know, the NFL networks in L.A. Fox Sports is in L.A. Uh, ESPN's moving more and more. Uh, to LA, why, uh, why should the Pac-12 not be in, you know, they're lucky enough to have the center of the TV universe in LA. Why aren't they in LA? Uh, just things like that, that I think you'd like to see people challenging the uh, Pac-12 and using leverage against the Pac-12. And it hasn't been done for years. And uh, it would probably be good for USC and UCLA and the California schools. And in the long run, the Pac-12, maybe not so much for the really high salaried people in Walnut Creek, but uh, but for the Pac-12, I think it'd be a good thing. I agree with you 100%. Can, what, can it hurt, Dan? It can't hurt to just have a meeting and, and talk to them. No. Right? no, I mean, throw it out there. I mean, really, it, it, if you're the president of Oregon State and you see a meeting between say the California schools or just the USC and other conferences, you're thinking, Oh, what's going on here? You know, what if USC leaves? I mean, first of all, where would they recruit? I mean, just the fact that, you know, they, one of the reasons, for example, that they play the nine game schedule, uh, to, uh, obviously the better teams disadvantage nationally is that all the schools in the Pac-12 want to be able to come to L.A. every other year, or every year, basically, UCLA one year, USC the other, to recruit and promise those kids they'll be able to come back to L.A. every year. Uh, that kind of thing. I mean, that's uh, 
you know, those are one-way streets. Those aren't benefiting uh, USC and UCLA. Those are benefiting all the other schools who get equal revenue distribution with USC and UCLA. You know, I like what Mark said about is there another way to look at revenue distribution? And, uh, you know, should Washington State get the same cut of the pie as USC and UCLA? I mean, how much more expensive is it to run an athletic program in L.A.? And in Pullman, Washington, and uh, you know everybody gets the same cut. I don't know. I I'd like to explore a lot of those things and just see where this uh, where this ends up, uh, and just just start moving down that road. Just start yeah. you know throwing little things out there, and there would be panic. How they yeah. work? It would be panic. Like so, if, say Washington State came to the table and said, "We're looking at joining another conference." Do you think? UCLA would care or USC would care, like, okay, whatever. Um, but if USC... <laughs> or they just don't let the door hit you. you yeah, know, like, oh, thank you. Oh, that's yeah. cool. I mean, we don't have to go there anymore. We'll get to Boise State or something. Uh, but if USC was leaving, I mean, there would be... Everyone would be freaking out. It would be absolutely crazy. So just, to me, just the, the, the thought that it could possibly happen could grease the wheels enough to make stuff happen in your favor. I, I just don't get why that's never even been... You don't have to threaten it. Just the, you know, oh, a meeting. We, you know, we, we took a meeting with the Big 12. And um, I think that would go a long way. Yeah, the panic, you're right. Panic is the word. I mean, panic would be because those guys don't want to be part of the, you know, Mountain West. I mean, that's just, uh, and that's where they're looking at. And if they don't think they've been taking a free ride, you know, I mean, there was, I mean, and, and they'd almost deserve it for the way the conference acted. When you look at how the SEC acts when one of theirs is on the, you know, on the grill, uh, compared to how, uh, the, the Pac-12 acted, you know, with regard to USC, they just basically said, Oh, great. 30 scholarships. So oh, is that all you're going to take away? Well, oh, we can get a, some of those kids. And, uh, I, I just think you know, it would be a way for USC to, you know, kind of return the favor. Wow. But not doing it stupidly just doing it and saying you know what are our options here and you know is there a better way to do this uh and you know there might be uh it's one of those questions you'd like to answer and the way to get it answered is just to start checking around and if people find out that you're checking around uh, that just i mean man the day if that happened the day, what the atmosphere in the uh, Pac-12 offices in Walnut Creek would be like, I can't even imagine uh, how they would would take that because uh, uh, you know they know what the deal is uh, in terms of how USC and UCLA basically you know carry the conference and how how important LA is to them, and if even one of them just started looking around. Um, I, I just, I can't imagine, but it'd be fun to watch. It would be, man. I would pay for that ticket. I'm going to make some phone calls, see if we can set something up, Dan. That would be great. <laughs> All right. Well, well Dan- I mean, the more we talk about it, I'm glad. I was surprised to see Neuheisel. See, Neuheisel pays attention. I mean, he is, he's really a sharp guy. Oh, he's great. I mean, yeah. You know, as we say, he's got his law degree from USC. And I'm not sure that law degree always helped him when he figured out where all the loopholes were in the recruiting rules. But um, but uh, he's a smart guy. And when he says something, that means he's paying attention somewhere to something. And for him to say that um, might tell you that, you know, it's not crazy. He's not just pulling that out of thin air. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see if anything kind of comes to this. It- the more time goes by, Dan, and the more the discrepancy, the, the gap widens between the other conferences in the Pac-12, especially if you're at USC and UCLA, you're already ahead of the game if you're you know, Oregon State or Washington State. You're making more than you'd be making anyway. But for USC and UCLA, they know they should be getting a bigger piece of this pie. So um, as the discrepancy grows, maybe that'll change and maybe some things will actually start rolling in, in their favor. Well, yeah, if they end up fifth out of the Power Five conferences, that ain't gonna, that's not going to hold. I mean, they, they're, even the Pac-12 presidents would say probably this isn't a good thing here. Yeah. You know, that, that this is just not not where we want to be. You know, if you go from first to fifth, 
uh, you know, and what is it, you know, five years, that's really not a good thing. And if you end up being the first Power Five conference this year to miss two straight uh, fall playoffs, uh, I mean, the Big 12 missed one year, and they had a, you know, they turned everything upside down. They've done everything you could possibly do to say they're not going to let it happen again. I mean, you know, Larry Scott last week told me, well, if it happens like five or six years, then we might think about having to do something. I'm thinking, what, you're going to be the first conference that might not make it. I mean, according to the preseason, you know, prognosticators, the Pac-12 is going to be the odd man out again this year. It's never happened to a Power 5 conference to miss two years in a row. And if that happens, I mean, something ought to be, you know, happening immediately, not after five or six years. Yeah. So, again, the Pac-12 can't just sit back. Uh, they've got to start thinking, we got to find some people with answers. All right, Dad, great stuff. Appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed the show, and uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Good questions. Yeah, great questions, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast for this week. Did three. We'll do a couple more at least next week. Uh, send in your questions, podcast at uscfootball.com. Make sure you check out uscfootball.com. All your great USC recruiting and football team news as we count down to September 3rd and USC playing Alabama. So thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 